Our journey to Presidio, Texas from Washington had all the makings of an epic adventure. How long have you been traveling today? Today, about 30 hours. Very long day. We flew from Washington to Houston, Houston to El Paso, rented a car, and then driven four miles back east to uh, Presidio. Four miles or? Four hours. Sorry, four hours. Four hours. Four hours. I wish it was four. Not to mention, you almost missed the flight to Houston from D.C. this morning. I didn't miss it. Well, I basically made them hold the gate for you. That's right. So today, we fell back at the beginning of the day, then we changed time zones to go to Houston, then changed time zones to go to El Paso, and then drove back to another time zone in the city. I don't know what time it is. Really, I know. My producer, Carrie Thompson, and I are driving south on I-67, West Texas, through a beautiful rolling desert framed in the distance by blue mountains, and at this very moment, a spectacular sunset. We are approaching our final destination, Presidio, Texas. Super excited about it. It's twilight, and the lights of Presidio are twinkling at us as we drive, drive up to it. There's a sunset and a moon. They got everything here in Texas. Sunsets, moons, twinkling lights. Know what else they have in Presidio County? Exceptionally long lives. Presidio County has the ninth highest life expectancy of any county in the U.S. On average, people here live to be around 85 years old, compared with a U.S. average of just 79 years. And it's also very poor ranking in the bottom 5% of all counties in the U.S. That's an incredibly rare combination. In the U.S., wealth usually equals better health. The wealthier community, the longer its residents live. And it changes from neighborhood to neighborhood. In the wealthy Streeterville section of Chicago, life expectancy is 90. Just nine miles to the west of Inglewood, it's just 60. There are other places that defy the odds, but Presidio County is off the charts. So we're on a journey to find out why Presidio is so long-lived and what it might mean for healthy longevity for more people. And when we found out about Presidio's longevity, we were kind of excited, right? Because we get that way with Longevity Outliers. We were also really surprised. And as it turns out, we weren't the only ones. Oh, that's the case in Presidio County? Really? Okay, interesting. <laughs> that's Carlos Morales. He's the news director at the public radio station in Marfa, the county seat of Presidio. I had to do a bit of a double take. Well, one, I hadn't looked into it personally myself, and so it's like, oh, that's interesting. But then you sit with it and you're like, oh, really? Okay, huh. Um, so it's a bit of a head scratcher. Then we explain this longevity phenomena to Christy Alexander, a family doctor in Presidio County. Does that surprise you this is a long-lived community? It does in the sense of the distance from from any major health center. That is rather shocking that the, health, the life expectancy is so much higher out here. It's not surprising that a doctor like Alexander might be taken aback by the life expectancy numbers in Presidio, as medical care is rather sparsely rationed. There's in fact only one hospital in the region, and it's in the town of Alpine some 85 miles away. That's one hospital covering 12,000 square miles. It's really a kind of mystery. That has brought us to Presidio to find out what we can learn. 
We should really learn from the places with high life expectancy, with long lives and growing lives to learn what are the elements of that place. What is it about that place that is good for people's uh, longevity? This is Century Lives, Place Matters from the Stanford Center on Longevity. I'm your host, Ken Stern. But before we get too deep into the mysteries of Presidio County, we need to take a step back and restart our journey in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The voice you heard a moment ago is Michael Stepner, now a professor at the University of Toronto, but in 2016, a member of a research team at Harvard that produced a massive study of life expectancy in the U.S. Led by Raj Chetty, the team painstakingly combed through over a billion tax records to develop the most comprehensive picture of life expectancy in this country. At the top end, the team found that there is no plateau, no upper limit to the correlation between wealth and longevity. The wealthier the community, the longer its residents are expected to live. On the bottom end of the income spectrum, though, things look a little different. People who make less money have different life expectancies depending upon where they live. Place matters, and some communities are simply healthier than others. But there are so many pieces to this life expectancy puzzle that it can be hard to tease out what's important and what's not. But that's not going to stop us from trying. So in this season of Century Lives, we hit the road to try to find out what we can learn from longer-lived places like Co-op City in the Bronx, Wayne County, Kentucky, Birmingham, Alabama, and Presidio, Texas. It's our first day in the town of Presidio. The dawn is clear and chilly, the sky a hint of pink, and we finally get a good look at the downtown. It's not much by any measure. The main drag is only about eight blocks long. There are no traffic lights, no strip malls. We're right on the border with Mexico, in plain sight of Ojinaga, the largest city in the state of Chihuahua. The proximity to Mexico explains the demographics of the area. Presidio, a town of 5,000, is 83% Latino, and many families straddle both sides of the border. Our first stop is Presidio's town hall to get the lay of the land. All right, so why don't we start off, uh, tell us your name and what you do for a living. Okay, my name is John Ferguson, and I am the mayor of the city of Presidio, Texas. Uh, A really beautiful place uh, as far as the scenery is concerned. And then the town itself, we're a poor community, and so the the architecture here is is pretty simple. Um, uh, The infrastructure in town is not fully developed. Some of the streets are, are dirt streets. So you, you, know, you might live on a paved street or you might live on an unpaved street. You, it's not, it's, it is definitely not your, your uh, typical postcard town. I mean, it's kind of a hard scrabble border community, but we, we have always had some of the highest unemployment in the whole state. I think Presidio County may be the poorest county in the state, maybe second poorest. Uh, I've been mayor now for almost 10 years, and one of the reasons I I, I ever wanted to be elected was to try to make a difference in that regard. Uh, You know, I see a lot of the the fathers, the husbands, a lot of them go up to find work, you know, 200 miles away. Some people even work in, in other areas that take them. And so these people, they either go work in the oil patch or they go work in various jobs all over the country. And so that, I know how I feel about being there for my children and I've got a granddaughter. And so when these people basically with no choice, but to go find work have to leave, um, you know, I, I, I feel like that's something, if we can make a difference and, and make an improvement locally, uh, 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try. So, but it leads me to sort of wonder about. I mean, I, we're here because we think of this as a healthy, as a a long lived um, community. It is a long lived community. Uh, why do you guys do so well? Yeah, that is a great question. Uh, I know the uh, the typical diet here is probably not. Uh, you know, there's probably lots of grease and lard and things like that that go into to foods and and I know I'm I'm an avid uh, bicyclist, but I don't see I see some people out walking around, but but I, I'm probably kind of known in town as the 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 guy who rides his bicycle all the time. So uh, I'm kind of probably a normal. Uh, I don't consider our town as like a bunch of health uh, nuts. Or, or I know that people enjoy eating all these types of foods that aren't probably very good for you. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. So how does sort of the, I mean, it's not a healthcare desert, but uh, the sort of the limited healthcare services factor into health here? I had uh, a year ago some, a need to see the doctor, and I call our clinic. Oh, I think we can pick you in in three weeks. I'm like, well, I don't feel well like right now. Well, you probably just need to go to the emergency room if that's the case because we don't have anything available for the next three weeks. And so that's kind of reality. So what'd you do? You weren't feeling well? You couldn't get in the clinic? You yeah, I literally went, I went to the emergency room. And then when I went to the emergency room, they're like, why are you here? I'm like, well, I don't feel very good, you know? And so <laughs> you can't win you can't, you know, either way, right? Yeah. We say our goodbyes and merge into the bright Texas sunshine. So, Ken, what do you think of these new clues to our longevity mystery? Well, the mayor has certainly cast some doubt on some of the usual suspects that we associate with lower life expectancy. Eating right, exercising, access to quality health care. Nearest hospital is 85 miles away. Check. John seems to be one of the only people out riding his bike or doing any kind of exercise. Check. And the food? A lot of it is prepared with lard and other less than healthy ingredients. So we hop back into our rental car to continue our search for clues. We're doing a little bit of a driving tour of Presidio. Like John told us, a lot of the streets aren't paved. Um, and uh, it's a poor town, as, as he said as well. One of the poorest towns in Texas. Um, driving past trailer parks. Many in not great shape. I said some beautifully landscaped, um, but most in some state of disrepair. So we're crossing O'Reilly, the main drag, the only really sort of big street, uh, to a side of town. I wanted the sort of a better side of town. This is a, do we cross the tracks to a little bit? The street's paved, but you run out of real estate pretty quickly before you, uh, Run out of get into the desert again, the Chihuahuan Desert. And perhaps I don't know if you can hear our car rattling in the roads. Even the paved roads aren't very good. Or or Chevy's not very good. One or the other. Or both, perhaps. We managed to drag our Chevy to the Presidio Trading Post and Cantina, a restaurant and bar on the edge of town. It's a welcoming spot with a loud jukebox and lots of room to spread out. There are few locals talking fantasy football and a handful of tourists sitting on the rooftop deck. The owner welcomes us from behind the bar, just as curious about us as we are about him. 
Uh, my name is Iram Carrera. Uh, what else? What, what, do you do, you? what do you do for a living? Oh, <laughs> I'm the uh, owner of. Uh, oh, so no. Yeah. yeah, I am. I'm the owner of uh, owner and manager, or I don't know. I don't give myself a real title. General manager, I guess I would say, of uh, Presidio Trading Post. All right. Which is uh, what? in Presidio, Texas, which is, uh, I guess, the local watering hole. What would you guys say? <laughs> yeah. All right, the local water and home, right, and uh, yeah, and then we got, and we're also a restaurant. So, Hiram Carrera helped his dad Rafa build this place. Hiram was planning to return to the Dallas-Fort Worth area once the restaurant was opened in 2016, but has since decided to stay. We got talking about his family and his grandfather, who has emphysema. Uh, about a week or so ago, um, Grandpa was having a little bit of a breathing issue. Um, and uh, he was getting kind of bad, um, concerning. It was a concerning issue. And so we kind of had to get medical attention for him. And living in Presidio, um, the nearest hospital is an hour and a half drive, um, which is about 110 miles, I think, 100 miles or so. So there was no ambulance available. There were, the only one that could get to us was literally was in Alpine at the hospital. So the soonest they were going to be able to get to us was about an hour and a half. Um, but what occurred, but um, so we were kind of trying to figure out if we can try to get him to calm down, control his breathing a little bit, because um, the whole thing with the emphysema is he kind of can't breathe on his own, and we have an oxygen machine that kind of does it for him. Uh, problem is, it's not mobile. So um, we're kind of like waiting around, seeing if we can figure something out. We got a call from the ambulance once again, and they're like, hey, um, this ambulance in Alpine is not going to be coming anytime soon. Um, we're going to try to send you the ambulance from Marfa, which Marfa is an hour drive from here. And they told us we can try to meet you halfway uh, or around Elephant Rock or Cibola Creek Ranch. Um, and uh, and so we kind of so we kind of like tried to figure out what to do. An uncle of mine managed to get his hands on a on a handheld, uh, not handheld, but you know, a smaller gasoline generator that could create enough current for us to power um, my grandpa's oxygen breathing machine, and that's basically what we ended up doing. We ended up loading up the him, the machine, and the um, that generator, and we made that drive up there. Um, and then what ended up happening is in Alpine they couldn't even provide the help that he needed so from alpine they moved him to odessa and he's been in odessa ever since and well, i hope your grandfather's okay i appreciate it appreciate yeah. it thank you comes home yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah for and, sure for uh, sure glad we stopped in <laughs> of the handful of people we've met so far the scarcity of health care here in presidio county seems to be a repeated theme yeah, and it, but it's interesting because everyone we met was dealing with it in their own way, with the help of their friends and family. But don't you think it's still a little startling that the limited access to health care seems to have such a relatively small impact on health and life expectancy? I do think it's weird. I think it's, it's a good example of the social determinants of health, which is that, you know, again, this notion that only about 10 to 20 percent of health outcomes are explained by access to health care. That's Alex Ortega, a professor at Drexel University's Dornsife School of Public Health. So much of, of health is explained by 
things like where you live and where you work and where you play, and um, the kinds you know the kinds of uh, um, the built environment in in which one lives, like and having access to things like fresh fruits and vegetables, and green spaces, places to exercise, having um, good mental health supports. Um, either through family or social services or, you know, a plethora of other kinds of um, supports. You know, the more social support you have, um, the better you're going to be at, at functioning. You're going to have lo- lower level. you know, you're less likely to be depressed, less likely to be anxious. Health, as they say, mostly takes place outside the doctor's office and it often hinges on community support. It's, it's kind of a multi-sectoral collaborative approach that's not just about healthcare. It's it's making sure that, um, you know, and it's particularly in a place like Presidio, where there are lots of immigrants, Spanish people who don't speak English or don't speak it well, um, but yet can still have good outcomes, really comes from, you know, deep community efforts. So what is the foundation of community in Presidio? What ties it together into a cohesive whole? Here's David Hayes-Batista, professor of public health and medicine at UCLA. He's been studying communities like Presidio for 40 years. I was working with an epidemiologist and he was looking at social networks around the world and basically he would summarize his research. The bigger, denser, and more active your network is, the more years you will live, period. He said that was stronger than anything else that he would see. Uh, but that, that social networking is really, really important. There was a bureaucrat named Daniel Patrick Moynihan who wrote a book, you may remember, it's about the tangle of pathology of the black family. And for him, the core problem with the black community was they didn't have enough family, didn't have enough family bonds. You had too many single parent households, etc. They needed more family. At the same time, anthropologists were going to the Rio Grande Valley in Texas studying Latinos, and they developed a term, well, Latinos have too much family. It's called familism. They hold you back. They tie you down. They limit you. You need to break away from your families. So I would ask colleagues when I was a graduate student at UCSF, okay, blacks have too little family. Latinos have too much. What's the right size? Well, what we have in Boston, that's the right size. That was gospel truth in the research world. Still is a, they still measure familism, and it's still a problem for Latinos until you put health to it, and you think, wait a minute, maybe it's the solution. Bautista has grown to be a skeptic of the role of the so-called nuclear family because he's seen the positive role that large supportive families can play in everything from caregiving to combating loneliness to managing the stresses of modern life. He's been studying this topic for many years, and now other researchers are beginning to catch up. Here is Alyssa Eppel of the University of California at San Francisco and one of the nation's leading authorities on stress. She thinks that those who help each other manage stress come out ahead. No question that that is one of the secret sauces to resilience. Those with these family structures that are multi-generational, there is so much richness, support, and safety offered within those family networks that we still need to unpack as researchers. There is the different perspective offered by the older generations about the daily challenges in life 
and offering their perspective and having their calmer temperament, their ability to hold emotions and to listen is like salve for the young, stressed out child. And also their, their ability to be present and spend time with the younger generation because they're not in a life stage where they're working two jobs, etc. They tend to be more present. And that's unbelievably stress reducing. That's one of the biggest gifts we can give to each other to reduce stress is simply a loving presence, a listening ear, not necessarily just offering advice, but being together. We're social mammals and we respond so fundamentally to the presence of a supportive person. It's pretty much one of the biggest factors we have found in stress reduction. The idea of social support is something we don't even talk about much because we just have shown over and over how important it is and the opposite, how loneliness is damaging to both our emotional well-being and to health. So how does this all play out in the context of Presidio? Carrie and I wanted to interview people in multi-generational families and fortunately, they're pretty easy to find. My mom's house is down here by the border. Um, I live closer to the fort, past the high school. That's Ariane Velasquez Ornelas. We're talking with her and her mother, Salisima Velasquez. We wanted to ask them about the multi-generational household, where three or more generations live together and take care of one another. We call it the Ornelas Barrio, you know. <laughs> We're all over there and... Um, my, I have an aunt. Her sister lives here with uh, my cousin, and then his family lives here. So, so uh, I'm, I'm curious about that experience, uh, both for, for the adults and the children. Um, is that an important part of your family culture and, and, and the sort of living together? So she's saying that um, basically it's, it's where we can get together, usually on holidays. It's a big deal for our family to be able to come together and um, tell stories about our ancestors, especially to the, the grandkids and, and the, the youngers, so that, you know, those types of stories, being able to, um, you know, just have that time with the, with the family members who maybe didn't know these, you know, ancestors and just talking to them and, you know, bringing us closer together to say, yeah, well, you know, you have a lot of similarities to your so-and-so, you know, family relative and, and so that's a big part of our culture here is, is continuing those stories and, and not to forget about our, our elders. <laughs> How does that play into sort of caregiving, um, taking care of each other, taking care of the kids, if there's someone sick, uh, how does that sort of play into sort of how you think about your life? And so she's basically stating that uh, as part of our culture, you know, when you have a lot of siblings, especially with nine, ten siblings, you know, the older siblings were always going to be helping with the younger siblings. So um, once you have a larger family, you know, the younger uh, generation is always going to be taken care of by the old generation. So like the my 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 children who are now older would be take would be able to be taking care of their cousins. So that that's always kind of uh, what she said is like they become kind of like the nana, like the the grand, not the, uh, I guess like the niñera, meaning the caregiver or the the babysitter in a way uh, of the lower generations, and it just kind of became instant because that's how you're raised. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, how important it was uh, respect for or care for elders as part of your culture. Um, 
talk about what that is and how that affects how you organize your family. Oh, es, es porque los adultos tienen más sabiduría y experiencia y, y han dejado su vida. So she's basically stating that in our culture, um, we honor our elders. So if, if we have um, our elders, you know, surrounded by the family members, by their grandkids, and they see that they're loved, they won't feel like they're, you know, they're over the hill and they're not important anymore. It's the contrary. We want them to feel like they are the most important part of the family, that that's why we're all together, because they're the first the ones and the only ones, really, that, you know, raised everybody else who's around them, and now we're, it's our turn to take care of them. And so she's stating that's a very important part, that they are honored um, and surrounded by the love of their family, especially, because that's what happens is when you get older, you start to feel like I'm not important anymore. And so our job as the, the family is to remind them that they're the nucleus of our family, that they're the, the most important part, and, and it's very important to honor that. Family support and strong social networks. They don't fit into our classic understanding of health, but they're central to the well-being of Presidio residents. According to Alex Ortega, these relationships are crucial to longevity. They not only explain life expectancy in Presidio, but also longevity in the Latino community at large. What you're referring to is the Hispanic epidemiological paradox. It's also known as the Latino health paradox. This is the notion that um, Latino immigrants, when they arrive to the United States, they have better health outcomes on average than um, U.S.-born Latinos and U.S.-born non-Latino whites, um, and also better health outcomes than uh, um, other immigrants who have been in the United States for longer durations of time. So, so we'll use Latino health paradox and uh, has all sorts of benefits, most principally the fact that I don't have to say epidemiological at all. <laughs> yeah, the Latino health paradox is fine. The Latino health paradox, the phenomena that describes why Latinos on average live longer than non-Hispanic whites in America, even if their income lags far behind. We call it a paradox because it's upside down on what we think we know what we do know about the correlation between income and longevity. But for David Hayes Bautista, it's less a paradox and more proof that strong communities, strong family structures can create new positive norms in health and longevity. Probably we have a, an issue of terminology here. It's called the paradox because we expect something to happen. By all the logic that we have, it should happen, and it doesn't. So we say, well, it's a paradox. This Latino epidemiological paradox, we see up and down the life span. So we look at births, Latinos have exceptionally good birth outcomes, very low percent low birth weight babies, very few drug exposed infants, and very low infant mortality. So it's not just at the geriatric level, we see it at the pediatric level, we see it in young adults. So we have a racial narrative that assumes these things cannot possibly be and here they bump up against a reality. I mean, this is not just in California. We see it in every single state that I've looked at in major metropolitan areas. This is not a paradox. This is now the epidemiological norm. Uh, we're kind of like, if we don't understand it from a science basis, we're kind of behaving like witch doctors. We're doing stuff, chanting magic scales <laughs> and hoping something turns out. There's got to be some rational, logical answers we can put numbers to. We just need to think differently. But the Latino health paradox, 
let's call it the Latino health advantage, doesn't last forever. First and second generation Latino families live longer, but as subsequent generations begin to adopt mainstream American cultural norms, including diet, mobility, and distance from family, data shows that some of that health advantage begins to dissipate. Will that happen in Presidio? Will jobs and ambition, different priorities, pull away the pins that hold in place the family and social structures of this area? Or will the ties that bind the strength of Latino family culture hold the community together? We look for that answer over a cup of coffee at the Presidio Pour Over Coffee Company. It's a sleek, elegant space, a bit out of step with the dust-covered mosaic of the old town. We're here to talk to the woman who just opened it. Her name is Sharon Hernandez. She's in her mid-30s and has spent the last 18 years away from Presidio living in Dallas over 600 miles away. In early 2022, she returned to open the store. Sharon has lots of extended family in Presidio. Her mother and father's family are all from the area right around Presidio, including some just over the border in Mexico. Sharon has a beaming smile, an easy laugh, and a way to make you feel welcome. I asked her why she decided to make the move back to Presidio and if she planned on staying. Um, so it was a short-term plan to, to, in the very beginning. You know, I wasn't um, ex- expecting to open a shop um, right now, but I think that has just changed. So for, for uh, to be honest, for the very first time in a very long time, I don't have a what's next. I'm just taking it day by day, which to me is a little bit kind of scary, but also um, exciting because I, I'm, I always tend to, have a plan and do it and then okay what's the next plan what's the next thing so right now I'm just uh I'm just enjoying this I'm just really in- enjoying having the coffee and the coffee shop but also um building com- community which I think is what I was longing for and why I came back home if that makes any sense sounds like you're very close to your family how did how did your family react when they used to told them coming yeah, back? Yeah, so I mean, they were, were very happy. I mean, they've been telling me to come home ever since I left for mm-hmm. college. And so um, after so many years, I finally got a yes. They were very happy. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I can, yeah. I can only imagine. And, and when you came back, did you move back in with your parents? Yes, I live with my parents right now. And your and your brother is back home there too. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's is... kind of like back way back in high school still. <laughs> Are you sitting in the same bedrooms you yes. were in high school? Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, so yeah. I have this this door, my my door, which I actually been meaning to change, <laughs> because when I was in in middle school and high school, you know, back in the day, it was like all Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Britney Spears. Well, like my my door is full of like stickers of of them. And I'm like, okay, I need to ch- to get a new door because this is getting a little just weird. <laughs> and out of the blue, we have an unexpected and welcome addition to our interview. Sharon's dad, Victor, drops by the store and joins our conversation. Victor, Ken. Victor, Miss. Pleasure to meet you. Um, I want to just ask you about uh, family and uh, what it meant to you to have Sharon come home. Ah, muy contento. You know, porque nosotros, los mexicanos, en especial, todos, yo creo que todos, pero nosotros los mexicanos somos muy, ¿cómo se diría? Somos muy arraigados en la familia. Siempre que estamos con la familia juntas, siempre para todo. 
Siempre, siempre. So he was just saying, again, what I said earlier about how we were just very close to our family, and I think that's just a, perhaps a, a cultural thing. And so he was saying that when there's one of his kids that, that is away, it sort of feels like they're just in, like, limbo. Like, they're not, like, part, part of of them is just like missing because it's not the whole family together. It's very hard. It's honestly well, it's to, actually to, quite to, beautiful. Hmm? It's actually quite beautiful. Yes, it is. Yes, it is beautiful. <laughs> but it's hard when <laughs> sorry, it's just so <clears throat> excuse me. So the the reason why I, I think that it's also hard is because I I I, I used to work a lot with um with like kids that I, I used to work for this um, upper bound uh, uh, program. So a lot of these kids, it was their first, they were the, the, the first ones that would go to like uh, to, to, to college. And, and I, I would see how so many of them, they just wanted to go out and like see and, and, um, go to a different school that was probably not in the same place as their as their like family was and it was very hard for for them because <laughs> we have such a, a a close connection that it's very hard it's very hard to 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 just move and have to not have your actual family there with you but i i don't know i i just feel like for for kids who look like me, it sometimes becomes too hard that it almost like stands in the way of you just going out and, and trying different things and and exploring and, and making sure that you that you meet all of your all of your potential and and so that's that's the only thing that I think it is great it's 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 great to have you know that that sense of of like family but I think that there's there's also some kind of cost to that too which isn't always talked about mm. well thank you for sharing that with us You know, I guess we probably wouldn't have imagined we'd be here sharing this bittersweet moment with Sharon, reflecting on her return home. She was so honest about the real meaning of these family ties. And it seems like it's the very thing that sustains the people we meet in Presidio. We make one last stop before we leave Presidio County in a smaller town called Marfa. By car, Marfa is only about an hour from Presidio but culturally, it's a whole lot further away. It's an artist enclave with well-manicured city park, expensive shops, and even a boutique hotel. It's where Dr. Christy Alexander has her local clinic, has been thinking about the puzzle of longevity and limited health resources in the area. We've already discovered what the scarcity of healthcare meant for people in Presidio, but we weren't quite prepared to cast it in a positive light. I think it's just that want to stay well, knowing you're three hours away from any major medical center. If things go bad, things go really bad and you're on your own. So that might be part of it too for some people. Yeah, um, you do have to be healthy out here. And if you can't be healthy out here, um, you know, you rely on family and the community. So um, we've taken note of the fact that the vaccination rates in 
Presidio County, at least reported to be highest in Texas. Did that surprise you, how high the vaccination rates are? And what do you attribute that to? It's sort of a strange phenomenon. It's so strange. I think it's attributed to that sense of community that's here. This clinic, I wasn't here yet, but this clinic ran vaccine clinics. They partnered with the um, health department here, which is really right down the street. Our local branch is right down the street. We're such a tiny community and everybody knows everybody. I think there's something to be said for that too, that one person says it, the other person says it, and it's just like this, this domino effect, if you will, that everybody's like, no, 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 we wanna stay well, we wanna keep our community well. Um, and everybody was just on board. It's, it's truly incredible. It's an amazing story, Carrie. Presidio struggled early on in the pandemic and was hit pretty hard. The downside of an aging, tightly knit community. But when the vaccine became available, we saw that upside, a communal commitment to care, not just for an individual or even a family, but really for everyone. You know, Ken, COVID has changed my understanding of how families help each other. Like before the pandemic, I might have admired the commitment to family in Presidio, but maybe thought it a little old fashioned. But seeing how these families have rallied around each other during the pandemic has made me appreciate the power of these ties. I mean, my daughter who graduated college during the pandemic moved back about eight months ago and now she's about to move 200 miles away. And I, I wonder whether she will come back home as Sharon Hernandez did. You're not alone. It's actually possible that we're entering a multi-generational moment in the United States. Even before the pandemic, the number of multi-generational households was steeply rising, hitting 20%, a figure that we haven't seen in the United States since the 1950s. Someday, we'll come back and find out whether the rest of America has changed Presidio or whether Presidio has changed the rest of America. But for now, it's time to hit the road back to El Paso. Ken? Yes, Gary? Don't forget to get gas. The nearest station is like three hours away. I think you're being a little bit dramatic. Probably. And let's not be late to the airport. Our flight checks in tomorrow morning. I know. Just saying. And so our trip to Presidio County is over. A very speedy two days. We came here as complete strangers. By the time we left, it seemed like we could see faces we knew waving hello to us on the streets. And as we drove out of town into another amazing sunset, we passed a sign that says, Adios, amigos. Have a nice trip. So that's a very old sign here in, in, in town. Um, so that, when, when I saw that, I just sort of got teary because it, it just, I, I, see that, I see that and I, I think of home. The producers of Century Lives are Carrie Thompson and Aaron Bump. Music for this episode was provided by Audio Network. Century Lives is a production of the Stanford Center on Longevity, where our mission is to support ideas and research so that century-long lives are healthy and rewarding ones. You can find out more about us at longevity.stanford.edu. I'm Ken Stern. Thanks for listening.